Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to be talking about some tests you can take to help manage your input costs. In our spotlight, we'll take a look at how dairy cow monitoring systems are benefiting dairy farms. Ag History Minute, we'll talk about the history of wheat in Wisconsin. We'll wrap things up with some cool beans that's corny and current events. So with me today are Max Garvey. What's up, everybody? Todd Chamber. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. So Bucks, down at, even into the third quarter, I think, last night, and came back and took the lead in the series, 3-2. to two. They went ahead with a minute left. And they were down by like 13 with 10 to go. I, I don't typically, I don't watch any regular season playoffs. I'll watch it here and there, but I'll eat least kind of watch it on my phone to kind of yeah see you know is it worth maybe flipping it on or not and at the end of that game i'm like oh we lost like now we're down three yeah I, you know i looked at score in the fourth quarter I'm like well we, we're gonna lose this we're we're gonna be down down <laughs> three two like that's that's it like most Clear, of the time yeah. when you it's kind of like the game five winner i think the percentage was like in the 70s of percent of whoever wins game five goes on it's to win wins, the series sure. so i was pretty down and then all of a sudden, the final popped up, and we had won, and I thought I read it incorrectly. I was writing the episode, and I think it was the end of the third quarter. I checked in, and it was like, oh, yeah, they were down significantly. It was more than 10. It was probably close to 20, I think, at that point. They were down. I'm like, oh, this isn't looking good. So it just in the – I put just bucks. Nothing else. <laughs> you didn't like, I don't know where this is going to go. Know. Like, I don't want to – I don't want to jinx it. Right. right. Like, bucks lose. Bucks lose like, or so bucks win. Yeah. Waited out. So I finished kind of doing the rest of the stuff. Went back. Final score. Like, oh, sweet. They pulled it off. So I can tell, Todd, you really aren't a true true blue Bucks fan because a true blue Bucks fan would know 13, that ain't nothing. I, and, and <laughs> Here we come. That is cool in basketball that they can kind of come back from that. But the game they had lost at home, they were down by about the same and just kind of couldn't come back, couldn't make nothing, and not having Middleton. Last night, us. just watching it was so frustrating because we were giving away points. Like okay. We just were giving, giving them away. away. And it's like, if they can just not do this for 30 seconds, it's going to be insane. Like, they're getting offensive. Like, Bobby Portis missed, like, three or four shots within a foot of the rim oh, in the geez. in the last the – last, Sorry, the last two minutes he was really good, but the three minutes before that, so three of the last five minutes, oh my god, I wanted to kill him. You know, he'd get an offensive rebound, and you're like, yeah, and then completely whiff on a putback. You know, so Drew Holiday was oh, he was like what we thought he would always be, awesome at defense. I mean, that block, the at last the end, minute, that last block was unbelievable. He was, and then to pick a guy's pocket and the other guy flop. He was know, tripping over himself most of the game. Yeah. And oh, then all at okay. once, then like, the last, I'm saying the last five minutes, it was, like, cash money. Like, he was nailing threes and stealing the ball and playing defense. Like, it was, like I said, you. it was frustrating to watch for a while because you're like, man, they are, they, have, they, they are having the opportunities they need. They're just not capitalizing. And then all, all of a sudden they started capitalizing, and it got, got slippery in a hurry for the Celtics, that's for sure. I know last night I also started to see Bucks and Six popping up I, again. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That is unbelievable how that is becoming a true prophecy. I mean, to do the finals, but Speak now... Speak it into existence. Yeah, to now keep having that, which I don't know how many... On average, the amount of... It's the only way se- they can win is in six. The amount of series that go in, that somebody wins in six games is probably pretty... You know, to win in 
Right. It, 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 it probably is pretty the, likely. Right. Yeah. So it's probably the most, but it, most likely option, but it seems like it's happening a lot, which is really cool. Yeah. The other big crazy thing that happened over the weekend, you know, last week we were talking about the Kentucky Derby a little bit, but I don't think any of us would have predicted an 80 to 1 odd well, horse making the run. We definitely wouldn't have because I don't believe the horse that won was even supposed to be in the Kentucky Derby at the time that we recorded last week. Yeah, here's the call of it towards the end. Simplification down the outside is next. They're coming down to the wire. That was center's handed. Rich strike is coming up on the inside. Oh, my goodness. The longest shot has won the Kentucky Derby. Rich strike has done it in a stunning. Doesn't even really say the horse's name till literally the, the, the finish line. Because it's like, oh, he just pulled a, a full, like, half horse in front of everybody else. Yeah. It, it that was the coolest race to watch the replay and where they showed you know with the arrow it coming up and it's unbelievable that it usually a horse can make a run at the end and then it'll run out of gas you know it puts it the afterburners on to try to catch up to get in like the middle of the pack like it did and then it kind of went around another horse and just put another speed on and beat i mean these are like these aren't just speed cocaine I, yeah that horse, that horse was like yeah yeah, and then after the race, it was like really getting into it on the trainer. And yeah, it just reminded me of those days at the county fair when you're showing your cattle and they're just, they're just not like bucking. Oh, yeah. And like yep, you're yep. there just like, knock it off. Let's go. Or the state fair is the word. Oh, I always had the like worst behaved cattle at the state Straight fair. Straight to Green just, Bay dressed beef with they were the Oh, they were the worst. <laughs> that steers was better because you knew like if they were dicks. Die, you, yeah. yeah, you're like, oh, your burger soon. So. I'll I'll let you have your little show here. <laughs> yep, just keep you guys keep making there. the case. <laughs> yeah. Making the case. Yeah. yeah. Well, you like that? Yeah. Whereas, like that horse, like if you're that trainer, well, you're like this is on national TV, and it was it was. And that trainer, like I I know the the like six horses had the same trainer, and I don't remember if this was one I, of them, but it was ninety plus before the race started, like really early on. Just before the race, they dropped him to eighty to one odds. So, still not even dreaming. There's a chance comes out to win it. I so think ten bucks on that bet. So if you bet ten dollars on that horse, you would get eight hundred and eighteen bucks. Really? That was yeah. That was the so multiply that by ten. Yeah. If you put a hundred bucks down, eight grand in your pocket. I think the like the Chicago Bears are seventy to one to win the Super Bowl. So put that in perspective. The Bears are seventy to one yeah. to win the Super Bowl, and this horse was eighty to one, one to win the Kentucky Derby. That's pretty insane odds. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what was in that horse. Yeah, hopefully, I'm hopefully after the race, PED test. Well, I'd say after the race they do test them, and that would have came out by right. now of yeah. what it but was that, on or that, anything. That wasn't but. a Bob Baffert horse, so it should be all right. Yeah. <laughs> that guy you're saying that, that he had like nine horses was Bob Baffert's. Basically, when he got pulled or banned that's the guy who took over his whole state which yeah it was one of his slappies anyway so it's not really like you really it's like when you banned russia from the olympics and now they have to compete as the russian olympic committee yeah Yeah, it's the same it's the same thing yeah we think there's a lot of doping in like baseball and other sports but horse racing yeah these they (laughs) i don't know like there's so much money trying i'm sure there's yeah there's stuff going on the thing to think about is like when rich people rich people play baseball, rich people play football, right? All that stuff, right? They got money. None of them own horses that are on the Kentucky Derby. Right. Or like six of them have to go together to buy a horse for the Kentucky Derby. Like 
there's serious serious dory me involved in this deal so i do anything to win so yeah i was just looking up to see if i could find the owner i know rich strike was just sold at a sale like not very long ago uh what do they call rick dawson of edmond oklahoma so don't know who that is but he was the big winner All right. You guys ready to talk some some cropping? Yeah, plant 22 is on, so yep. you can just feel it in the air. It's been, well, and it's finally feels feel like summer. There, yeah, yeah, that's called humidity. It's yeah. back. We went from April to July yes. in about 60 seconds. Yes, so. I don't think they'll need to sell spring jackets anymore <laughs> in Wisconsin. That is just, you, you, you don't even need that. You might, you might get a chance next week. It'll be back down here. We're having right? full summer right now. Yeah, or full full spring, false false summer. I don't know, man. It's it's hot, and then I looked at the weather for next week, and there's days where the highs don't make it to the sixties. Yeah. So, well, Max is over here pounding the whatever water, you liquid got. IV, Liqu- man. Yeah, got to put him down because he's dang dang near had heat stroke earlier this week because you're just not used. Dude, to it. It was hot. It was hot on Tuesday. No, and you're just you're not used to pounding that water. I didn't even bring enough water with me because you're just like, well, yeah, it's gonna be hot, but it, I'll be fine. Yeah, you know? you know, you'd make the gas station stop, get something hydration, whether it's Gatorade, body armor, whatever. Yeah, pound it. You know, most of June, July, and August, I keep a cooler in my truck, like a, a yeah, a real cooler, and I strap it in the back, and I put new ice in it every once a week, probably, and keep it full of water. And I don't have that going yet. So my two bottles I grabbed in the morning when I left the house that was that one that went out pretty quick. So, I mean, at least on the upside, it's made field conditions for the most part a little bit better. They're getting better. It I've never seen a year quite, and all of them have a different feel to them. But where it's so dry on the top, half inch to yep. two inches, and then so wet underneath, that's made uh, this spring kind of summer now. Just a really tough one to kind of make those decisions when stuff's really ready and not ready. And it'll be an interesting one to see long term when we start digging corn roots in the fall. Spummer. And yeah, spummer. I like that. This is a spummer. Of of when when was the when is the right window it to be going? Because we always do want to go mid May here at least be be going. And it feels fit, so it's it's ready. But tile is really helping, you know, having that underneath drainage. Yeah, there's been a lot to, to drain that. that running, yeah, the drain the that like I said that underneath soil is really wet yet, so that's been helping a lot. So as you're getting out there and getting into the field, things to keep your mind on are your input costs, and always good to try to think of ways you can reduce, if possible, or at least better manage those inputs. So nitrogen right now is. Over a dollar per unit. Uh, yesterday, the price was quoted one twenty per unit of N on a webinar. <clears throat> Potash is above $800 a ton. It's worth probably spending a little bit of money to potentially save some or at least move that nutrient where it needs to be um, by checking out what's available for nutrients. So got to spend money to make money, right? You got her. I do agree with this, Matt, is... Sometimes we have almost like an all or none kind of mentality of it. Like, well, do I got to have potash this year? It's like, it's not yes or no. It's a, let's try to decide what you need. And it's an amount thing and it's a profitability thing. What, how much will make your farm more profitable or can you, can you 
skip it and you don't need it quite this year and you'll have some of that in your soil bank to tell uh-huh. you and a lot of these tests are telling you that is what is in your soil bank mm-hmm. so just like you log on to your you know your app on your phone to your bmo harris or your wells fargo or your nicolay national bank account it tells you how much is in that bank we use these tests to tell you how much is in the soil bank. Could I just take a picture of my soil and have it analyzed like I, I can with my checks? That would be sweet. Do you actually use that? I hate that. I don't. Mine never works. It drives me crazy. I've never tried. Like, to me, when they first came out with that, I'm like, that can't. Like, what do you mean? You just take a picture. Like, I don't they need the physical chat? You know, and I'm like, they. Well, when you go to the bank, they just scan it in there. For as big of a too. deal as it was about, like, having to sign the back and all yeah. and everything else, like, now, oh, we'll just take a picture of it. It's fine. I uh, I did the when we still had paper checks at the tilt economy, yes. you know. Like when we still I tried the like last check. year. I, yeah, yeah. I tried that, didn't work. Never went back. Never tried again. I hated it. I hated it so much. It was a terrible experience for me and everyone involved. So yeah. Anyway, now that we've completely uh, eviscerated the banking system, <laughs> move forward. All right. So we're going to talk about some tests you can take to help manage input costs. And so we've got soil test, tissue test. Uh, PPNT or PSNT, so that's pre-plant nitrate test or pre-sidress nitrate test. Uh, cover crop biomass and Haiti tests are all different ways you can look at managing nutrients and what's out there. Um, so the, the tried and true, the old standby, the one that most people do to at least a certain extent is the soil test. So knowing your baseline is important, what kind of fertility you can expect in the field. You want to stay on a schedule so you can start recognizing trends, not take one every you know 10 years, probably get into a habit. If you're doing nutrient management, you're required to take them every four. Uh, some guys do it every three, every two, every others, maybe getting a little excessive, but you know whatever you want to do, just to keep an eye on that fertility in that field because there will be changes as you move through different crops, you know whether or not you're applying manure. Um, and that's going to give you yeah your baseline to starting point. So that's just as important as probably any of these or, or the most important maybe even um, to have have an idea of what, what that baseline is. I think we always start here. I think this is always like the first step when when we talk to people and they, they say, well, what is what are you guys going to do to make my farm better? I think this is always like one of the first, like, have you done soil tests? When did you do soil tests? We need to do soil tests. Start there and work your way back. I think, Mac, so you're right on that is we've been doing these. This is kind of what the plan was in the winter already. You'd take your soil test in the fall, you review them in the winter. And we've, in general, I've done it where we do in-season ones just to try to find if something is kind of out of whack or if we're basing off of, say, an older soil test that's three years old and you're going to retake it this coming fall. But in general, you know, these are more of, like you said, just the the baseline scheduled standard and keep on that schedule to, to try to help that. This might be the year where you actually bump that schedule up. Um, this might be the most spring sampling you ever want to do would be right now just to sort of see where you're at even um we do a lot of five acre increments or two and a half gridded soil tests and you could just do some composites this spring to just get another picture of what is out there for that crop so it's one thing to think about is the cost of the test compared to the input and we always just look at what the input cost is but the cost of the test didn't rise by basically anything but the input doubled or tripled right. so it's going to make these tests way more valuable and whether you do it spring or fall um, you should try to be consistent with that and not just oh i took it fall last time but i want to know now and take spring because the numbers will change when you switch seasons like that 
to an extent, so it, it's good to just try to be as consistent as possible when taking those. All right, next one's tissue tests. So uh, they tell us what's in the plant or what the plant's uptaking from the soil. Um, especially valuable when you're seeing deficiencies, uh, but can also help you manage inputs. Um, you can use them in tandem with soil tests to increase the value. So if you know your fertility's good, but your plant's not taking up that nutrient, you know, then it's not it's not availability, or at least well, it's not that's not in the soil. It's it, the plant can't seem to get it, and that'll help you kind of manage and maybe know. Okay, I should put a little bit more out there to hopefully make it more available to the plant, even though I know my fertility's good. For some reason, this plant isn't taking it up, and we got to try to find a way to get it there. Yeah, love tissue tests. We could do as many of these as guys would want, and it just all of them you see value in them because it either confirms what you thought, which is valuable. Or it shows, well, okay, there's, you know, one little thing here we're maybe missing that would really help to know. So it's to use the back to the banking thing is it'd be like logging on your bank and the soil test would kind of show that, you know, first part. And then you go into the individual transactions with the tissue test and you can kind of see each individual thing and kind of dial it in better. Uh, or like if you're checking your stocks, it'd be like you got a whole portfolio you're going into each little one and you're kind of seeing well that one kind of sucks but this one did really good and it just really helps dial things in the one thing i would say with tissue tests versus soil is there there is discrepancies like matt says is sometimes the soil will show one thing but the soil is using chemical extractions to try to find how much of the nutrients are in there the plant doesn't the plant doesn't do it the same way. That's not how the plant uptakes. You know, it doesn't extract the bray pea um, or what? the malic. Yeah, the malic. Malic 3? Does it yeah. give the CEC? Yeah, right. So it's not like the same particular way as how the plant takes it up. So a lot of times tissues are extremely valuable because they, they literally show what the plant So to stick with your it. banking metaphor, what you're saying is the plant might be trying to pay with MasterCard, but the soil only accepts Visa. The soil only, yeah. No, the bank's trying to pay with the mascara, yes. And the soil, yes, uh, right. It's got to be your bank. <laughs> Wait, Wait, what? It's got to be your bank. Like stick your head up uh, the soil's butt and <laughs> yeah. get a good look get at the T-bone. <laughs> Thank you, Chris Farley. <laughs> but, Matt, but Matt is or right. Or I can take is, the for it. Yes, I think you should do that. But Matt is 100% right. Is the plant still tells us that that's what we're going for is, is biomass and structure of the plant. So... Soil tests are helpful, but the, the tissue tests to me really help just put that all those pieces of the puzzle together. All right. Next, we've got pre-plant nitrate tests or PSNTs, which are pre-sidrate, side-dress nitrate tests. Um, so a tissue test will tell you a lot of different nutrients, a whole, whole gamut of these. This one's specific to nitrate in the soil test. So... Here again, using in tandem with the tissue, you can see what the plant's uptaking for nitrogen and what's available in the soil. Uh, gives you the end soil value. You can do it pre-plant, pre-side dress, or both. I mean, you could take one now, you know, or a week ago, depending on when you planted, and then take another one before you might go out and side dress to see how that changes, because it will change through the season. Nitrogen numbers do fluctuate. Um, so you can help adjust your rates as you're, as you're moving through the season. And this is your gas tank gauge. This is your gas gauge. And we really don't exactly know how much to say credit things and what even the soil itself 
a lot last year we had unbelievable soil breakdown and and just the soil had a lot naturally there available so this is that gas tank that shows you that the pea the pre-plant one in general isn't my favorite because it seems like the soils are still kind of cold you're not really getting in a lot of nitrate available so a lot of times those numbers come back low anyway that in kind of what you expect but if they do come back higher then you know you know you have enough out there early for that plant and this year might be different when we hit 90s for we're breaking heat records all of a sudden you're going to see the soil warm up and maybe doing some of those nitrogen breakdown reactions. Well, we always talk about with nitrogen and manure, like mineralization, when does that happen? When do, when has it become available? And a lot of it has to do with the temperature of the soil. So Cor- Correct. Jeff Polinsky used to be perfect at that. Like, yep. oh, he would, he would call me every day in about June. It was always when he's like, did you notice it this morning? And I'm like, what, what, like, what, what do you mean? It happened. Like, what are you talking about, Jeff? He's like, everything's greener like it just there's you know one if it just hit that temperature obviously and everything converted and he could he could just see it and you know by driving by fields he just knew that that was the day that was ready and did we, you see it yeah i did it yeah did you see it? Like, what, what happened yeah i don't know i don't know i'm like oh it's nitrogen day yep all right it's nitrogen day yeah, this is the day happy end day yeah so this no, is the end day it, there is seriously it does seem like there's a day where all of a sudden like things just kind of crack over and everything kind of converts and you're like well everything looks pretty nice better today yeah and and that's when we would start psnts like we do some before that or to try to gauge it but if you did them before that they usually came back too low yeah Yeah. lower than what you thought and then if you waited till end day it was it was ready so you you do got to make sure you kind of let the soil tell you when it's going to start mineralizing like that or you you might get a reading that i wouldn't say it's incorrect or anything it's just there might be more converting after that so we did a study with the lab years back too where we took um in the same spot um to a week to try to see kind of when end day was and that helped too so even having some before that'll help you know when it mineralized because those numbers will change oh i remember yes took a lot of those yeah tests. those were <clears throat> All right, and then the next two are kind of newer, new kids on the block, but um, use similar concepts to the other tests. So a cover crop biomass test is relatively new. Ag Source just started offering that here in Wisconsin. Otherwise, there's other labs and stuff around the nation that have been doing it. And it's basically like a tissue test, but you're taking the tissue of your cover crop to see what was what that plant took up and what you might be getting through the season in the breakdown of that cover crop. So when you're using it, it's a good idea to have an idea of what's there, what that plant available nitrogen or, you know, phosphorus, whatever else it's taking up. Um, Like the tissue, it works probably best in concert with other tests, not just relying on it alone, but um, using comparisons. And what's different is this test, they can also give you a carbon to nitrogen ratio. So, and at which depending on what it comes out to be, will give you some idea of how to credit the cover. So anything 20 to 1 or below generally will break down in season, or at least a good chunk of it. Anything above that takes longer to break down, and so you're, you're less likely to see a credit from that cover crop. So um, that can help kind of give you an idea of what to, what to expect. Are you going to get much out of that cover crop? Because I know you guys have probably seen it too, especially with rye and stuff. 
you see it all through the season. I mean, it's breaking down, but that mat kind of sits there, so you're not getting the release of nutrients from that the same way you might get out of legumes or dead alfalfa fields or you just add more any nitrogen. Of that stuff. Yeah, just, just add more nitrogen. It. Yep, It'd change your ratio. And we've talked about that too. But um, so this is a, a newer test. Have you have you brand new to me? Yep. The brand new to us in general, but like I know Matt, you've taken some, seen the results. Are are they worth the cost in it? Is it is it becoming something you think has got to be in our standard that we take them, or is it one of those things where you'll do it here and there just to kind of see? I think we're still learning on it. We, you know, I did a bunch last year. We're doing some more again this spring. Um, you know, we. I think what it comes down to is we know, like we accept the alfalfa credit. When we, when we go from a hay field to a corn field, we know there's going to be some sort of credit there. Well, and let's go back with that one. Is There's a gauge on how many plants per square foot, Yep. the size of the alfalfa when it's sort of terminated. There's kind of a gauge to where it gives you, you know, 90 units, 120 units, 150 units. There's, we kind of have an idea what it, what the breakdown should be. And maybe this will be a, maybe we'll use this in the future for trying to gauge that as well. On, on like an alfalfa that was spring terminated or something like that. But I agree on cover crops, there's a wide array of species, planting densities, heights, everything that this this test should help us dial that in then of what it's really giving you right. in return. So yeah, that's that's the hope of this test is where, where it'll lead is it'll help us kind of gauge some credits, uh, whether it's nitrogen or even some other... Cause it, the test will give you a whole, the whole run, you know, NPK, sulfur, you know, micros and stuff and everything of, of what is in that biomass. So you know it's there. It's in the field. It's just a matter of when's it going to release. And there's no sufficiency ranges given, right? Right. Which is unlike a yeah normal tissue like test. It's tissue not really test will tell you what's high or low and what where you know for that well, crop that stage. This I don't know how we'd ever get sufficiency you, ranges because. Do you think it matters if you have the sufficiency range or if you just want to know how much? Right. That's getting? what I'm saying. Right. You know what I'm saying? Different. Like it's a different. Yeah. It's a, a tool you'd use in a different way because you're you're really trying to gauge how fast is this going to break down. Right. And return those nutrients to the soil versus... How soon that, until we have end day? Right. 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 Versus a sufficiency I, range is how is the plant health doing? Can this plant survive? Is it going to do everything we need it to do at these levels? That's a good... The C to N ratio, that's awesome. We we rarely get to see that. I mean, sometimes when you do like a compost sample, you'll see that. Or a, yep. But... On this, I think that'll help us a lot to know how to recommend cover crops because, like Max said, with rye, that's going to be a lot more heavily on carbon, but that's also based on the stage when you terminate the rye. True. Yep. So we might say, I've always said I like terminate rye around, like, no more than 12 inches or, you know, and, but that's because of the C to N ratio, but I'll be able to dial that in a lot better to see oh. where we should be terminating Ve- it. Vegetative rye versus reproductive rye are completely different, different in breakdown. When the yeah. stems oh, yeah. start to elongate... That's when life gets right. difficult. Yep. Right. Uh, if you can get to it before that, that generally your yep. seed end ratio is better. It. Right. And this is one too where you want to be targeting as close to termination as possible. Yeah. How does that work? Can you after it's sprayed, you can't really take this, right? Like you want to do it ahead of that. I guess you probably could. Like if you wouldn't want to wait till it's completely dead. Okay. But um, you'd want to get probably get there right before spraying. Um, as much as as possible, or you know, if you're going to try to crimp something, 
right you would take it right before crimping because that's going to give you you want it as close to that point as possible so you, you know can, how much is there at that termination point and then really you could test the dead biomass later to see how much is left sure um I know but i would think technically right you'd know then how much maybe mineralized in the soil you know years. how much was lost you wouldn't right. necessarily know exactly where it, where went, it went yeah but at least you'd have an idea like okay we know it's released this much and then if we pull you know some sort of soil test or something else to see okay did we see a change in value especially particularly with nitrogen really we're with this you could target nitrogen they probably the easiest of okay. all of them um but Again, it's still not a... Have you done any with, like, rye, with different stages and then right at termination to see... I haven't, but I've seen other guys okay. that have done it. That'd um, be a nice way to do it, too, is, you know, do it early spring and then kind of follow it along. This year was hard because it was so cold and then turned to summer that, I, you know, it probably wasn't that high, and then all of a sudden now it's just growing like yeah. crazy. I actually just took some rye... And then it was terminated, I think, within a day or two. Uh, or no, it was, yeah. It was planted on a Friday, terminated, excuse me, on a Monday. Um, so it was, like, perfect timing. Grabbed it just before. There wasn't probably a lot of growth in those two days. Um, and Matt will tell you on these, because he told me you got to take a, before you send it to the lab, you got to have a, a weight in grams for for egg source, yeah. Make sure you take the the fresh weight in, right in the field, so. and then they want you to take two like a given area so that you. Yep, usually so this two one's by tricky. Two or three by like three. a tissue sample. Whoa, two by two or three by three? Not one by one. Not one by. So one. I can't use my square. I do use my square, and then I just flip it. Oh, that's really smart. Could you wow. just do four squares around the field? Like you could, yeah. okay. But I you want to usually you're taking it. It's like a composite sample, so you're taking a representative area. Yeah, but mean, you could it, randomize it like and that like though you're yeah. just taking one section of that, or do you got to do like I got the old pruning shears? And yeah, you just, like, just clip just like we uh, when we do alfalfa plots. Yeah, how we would harvest it like that. Yep. Yeah, you would do that. Yeah, because that that done. is different than other one like tissue. You know, there's a minimum they need for sort of biomass, right? And that but it's that not, changes too during the season as whole plant, right? What That's, leaf you're taking, and this is just a whole area so that we can weigh it to almost get. Almost like a yield in a way. That's and they need that, I believe, for like the C to N ratio and Correct. some of yeah. that. I yeah. Wonder, I wonder if like you didn't have enough biomass for them to run the test. Yeah, like how? But it, right, if you it's know a, what I mean, because like a three by three square and it's only some yeah. tiny little skimpy rye that was broadcasted last fall late. Like that probably doesn't make the cut. That would be my guess. As far as I know, there's not a minimum because they they have mentioned to me when I after I pulled the first one because. Previously, I've used Regen at, like yeah, Regen Egg Labs in Nebraska. Okay, because um, Wisconsin, there really wasn't anybody doing it. Egg Source started doing it now. I did my first ones with them this spring, and it's been a little bit of a learning process on how they're different. With Regen, it was bag it up, ship it. You didn't have to weigh it or anything. Just, okay. just get it to them. Here, they want the pre weight, um, and they're subsampling. They've told me so. That's why they need the pre weight so then you, to equate right, it. They can to take. A, Take it and, you know, because they're subsampling, I think they can make the assumption of that whole area then. Mm -hmm. And so that helps with the minimum sample size. All right. Fair enough. But, but yeah, really cool neat new sampling type that we yeah. have not had at our disposal. So a new tool in the toolbox to, to really kind of try to figure out how we want to use it, how it's going to benefit us. And, I yeah, have you done any yet, Max? Nope. No, and I have not either. And 
So I, 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 will, now, I, will, I will report back as, as we find more with this. Yes, but. please do. But now I'm regretting that I was in some cover crop that was being terminated yesterday, and that would have been perfect to, yeah, to yeah, grab it because I just be cool to see what was in it. Mm, yeah. Now I'm trying thinking about changing my schedule for tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the last one, uh, we've talked a little bit about this before, the Haney test. So it's a soil health test. A lot of people like to use it. But um, you know, it gives a number of recommendations. Total value is still up in the air, so it's talking N, carbon nitrogen ratio, CO2 respiration, um, biological activity. But I have talked to a number of guys in both in the state and outside the state who are using it like a PSNT or a PPNT. So they're taking that sample and using that nitrogen number to try to help plan for the N. And it's a little bit different. So the PSNT process versus... The Haney process, the Haney is like a water-soluble. So the number does change. And again, one thing I liked about Regen when I would send them stuff is they'd give me both. They'd give me the traditional nitrogen number and what the so Haney... So they'd give you like a nitrate number right. and then a Haney... Yep. And the Haney number. So then you could compare and, s- and still have both. And uh, we're going to do some trials this year using these tests as the N gauge compared to a PSNT and C what kind of results we get. You know, yeah. Can we use that number f- effectively? So that might be something else on the horizon where um, you can use that test in a similar way as a PSNT or PPNT. So One thing with the Haney is that, it, I mean, it's, mo- it's expensive, but a year like this, it might be more worth it. Whereas like a PSNT is really pretty cheap. It's probably one of the cheapest tests out there yep. in general. And you're only testing one thing. You're just testing nitrate. So... Whereas the Haney, you're testing more more things, you're getting a little more info that this might be the year or two I'm doing a little bit more Haney's than I am in the past versus nitrates, but sure. um, probably still th- more of a I think more for of a specialized s- test. For speed and price, I'd, PSNT is definitely it's, the answer. And like when you're talking about making in-season recommendations, we might be wanting to pull the test on Monday and spreading by Wednesday, and a Haney just doesn't. It just takes too long. Like yeah. that's part of the problem. Well, PS and T's are are the fastest tests too. Like I mean, they get, you they can fly. get them next day. Yeah. Yep. So th- those are like I said. I think I got to find a way to use them more in tandem. Like I use tissue tests with my PS and T's because the hard part with tissue sometimes is it'll show like nitrogen and it'll be like, well, yeah, there's enough in the plant, but you don't realize the gas gauge underneath is running. Like guys will be like, oh, well, let's do some tissue tests see how if we need more N and rarely. It, I'll put it this way is if if the tissue test shows you need more N, you could have just looked at the plant and <laughs> saw that you needed more N. Right. So certain things like that. Isn't that just what they do at the lab? They just yeah, hold the leaf up and they go, good. yep, needs it. <laughs> nope, this one's good. That'd be cool once we get a scanner tool or just, yeah, you just scan the leaf with your cell phone and, and it'll say, yep, it'll tell you what give me more do. N. But yeah, so like we mentioned before too, if you're doing alfalfa or some other legumes, you know, you're doing those maybe a cocktail mix that had clover or something in it, you're probably going to get some kind of end credit using these tests um, can help you kind of help determine that when we don't have the full story. You know, alfalfa, we're used to doing it, but we've got these other crops now that we're doing that we don't necessarily have a, a fixed number that we know we can plan on when you're, you're planning your end for this crop this season or any other inputs. So those are some ideas of how you can do some testing 
to help manage your inputs. So now we'll move into our spotlight for today. So today we're going to talk how dairy cow monitoring systems benefit the bottom line. So this article in particular from Successful Farming, they talked to Pagels Ponderosa up in Kiwani. So the 6,250 milking cows at one of the two farms are outfitted with monitoring collars so that as they go through, they can collect data 24 hours a day, seven days a week, providing helpful information for managing the herd. Uh, They love it, the incredibly valuable tool for them to use. So herd monitoring has been part of some operations for decades, but technology is getting better, smarter, providing lots of specific information, um, especially when you look at robot farms too, some of the technology now with what they can record uh, because of those RFID tags is, is really impressive stuff. And surprisingly what they've found Well, maybe it's not a surprise to our listeners, but um, a lot of the data says leave your cows alone. They don't need to be intensively managed. In fact, um, it says 3 to 5% of the animals need attention, but the other 95% animals just need to go about their daily business without human interaction. They don't need you checking on them. You know, we're becoming less helicopter parents to our cows. Just let them roam, (laughs) do their thing. And I thought that was really interesting in this article, talking about, you know, what what these numbers after, you know, managing them now for, in some cases, decades have been telling us there's our cows that need our attention and there's other ones that don't need anything. I could see that. I mean, they're, they're flight animals. We're a predator. They probably just want, you know, they want to be fed. They want to be cared for. But like you say, it says the word handling, and that's a good word. Handle them less. Be... Like you said, be less helicopter, less, less disruption of the routine. Yeah, cows like a routine. They just want to do their thing. If you can leave the routine alone, good things happen. It, it'll be interesting what we do learn from these because I wouldn't say that is as intuitive as I thought. Like you said, it, it'd be surprising to me. Not that, not that I haven't seen that cows just want to be left alone. They do, but you'd just think like, oh, these cows like me, or like, yeah, not. It, we've all had it's, it's like probably had that experience with the one you know that fair animal or whatever that acted like a dog its whole life. Right, it, it would come to the fence that. when it saw you and yeah. like lick you. And, and and so yeah. this is saying like three to five percent would be like that. The rest like just give them food and they're fine. Yep. You know, like don't don't treat them like pets. You want to keep their stress level down? Just let them be. So yeah, I think that was I found that pretty interesting. So. Now we'll move into our Ag History Minute. Love that banjo. All right, so today we're going to talk wheat in Wisconsin. So with the high price of wheat lately, um, it's become a pretty important crop for some farms. And wheat was, in fact, the first and most important cash crop planted in Wisconsin did not require a large capital investment, and was easy to grow. From 1840 to 1880, Wisconsin provided one-sixth of the wheat in the United States. Despite its early success, wheat became unpopular. By the late 1850s, Wisconsin farmers struggled to compete with farmers in Minnesota and Iowa. 
Since the 1850s, agricultural reformers have urged, or had urged, farmers to diversify their crops and restore depleted soil through crop rotation and fertilization. But wheat remained Wisconsin farmers' number one crop till the eight, through the 1860s, when wheat rust disease and chinch bugs destroyed the crops. Farmers were forced to turn to new crops. Farmers in Washera County pioneered the state's cranberry industry in the bogs of Berlin, Wisconsin. Farmers in Rock, Jefferson, and Dane counties successfully cultivated tobacco. Other farmers turned to corn, oats, and hay to feed thousands of cows that supported Wisconsin's growing dairy industry. By 1890, Wisconsin ranked first, second, and third, respectively, in rye, barley, and oat production in the country. So it's interesting how, in history, things change, wheat being our number one crop for a long time, and then we got into rotation and dairy and became the dairy state, but still, like I said this year, pretty valuable crop so far. I can't even imagine the fact that we were near the top at one point, or not even close. Not even close. No. no. Yeah, just think of how much wheat that really was then to be that prevalent. Basically, all the fields would be wheat. Like, yep. Just imagine everything wheat. <laughs> wheat on, and wheat on, on wheat on wheat. On wheat. Yeah. Like which you is, wouldn't rotate. Which, is, which yeah. is part of the reason why it crashed. But yep. Yeah, it's it's just, yeah, like it said, rust disease and chinch bugs. So. Hey, we're still, we're still second in oats production, so that's nice. good. Still, still holding that down. We moved up then because there were third in oats in 1890. So <laughs> in over 100 years, we moved one spot up. We did it, guys. We did it. Oats is high price too right now. So yeah. there you go. All right. Thank you to all our farmer listeners out there. We appreciate you. We thank you. Please subscribe and tell a farmer friend about the podcast, especially when you're planting. You know, I'm hopefully you've got time now. You can just listen to the tractor. And kind of keep the monotony from listening to the Duke FM all the time. You can turn on some TTR. And what we want you to do, what we're asking you is when other farmers say, hey, I was planting going, you say, hey, great. I've just got TTR on in the cab. Everything's going great. So to find us on an iPhone, you go to Apple Podcasts and you search Tilth Talk Radio. And on an Android phone, we like the apps Podcast Addict, Podbean, or Player FM are all good apps to download. And there you can search Tilth Talk Radio and find us there. I just got a new phone. I had to get one because mine was super old. And yeah, I had to add all of my podcasts back. And nice. I, I think I just searched Tilth and it came up. So real easy to do that. And to listen on your computer or smartphone browser, go to tilthag.com slash podcast. We are also available now on Amazon Music. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilth Talk Radio. All right. Thanks, Todd. Now we'll wrap things up with some cool beans that's corny for the week. So cool beans? Cool beans. Cool beans? Cool beans. All right. Our cool beans this week. A NASA climate scientist is awarded the 2022 World Food Prize. Now you may be thinking, who cares? This is an egg podcast. Why are you talking about NASA? Well, the leading climatologist, agronomist, and former farmer... Cynthia Rosenwig was the winner of the 2022 World Food Prize. So she was credited for her pioneering work in the modeling the impact of climate change on food production worldwide. So kind of cool that a farmer won the food prize, but makes sense. She's got pretty good understanding of how food process works as an agronomist and former farmer. So 
Did you see how much she won? Uh, yeah, two hundred fifty thousand, yeah, quarter million is, bucks. That's a, you know, like sometimes when they win prizes, like oh, ten grand, like that'd be sweet. But two fifty, like dang. I'm sure the there's got to be taxes on that though. Too. Yeah, you're right. She's not her take home isn't all of that, but still pretty cool. So yeah, that was our cool beans, and now our that's corny this week. Diesel prices just hit a new record high. Here's why a diesel shortage may be next. Yeah, awesome. Great. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> so diesel, at least at the pump, so farm diesel is usually a little bit less. I'm not sure. I think the article says what farm diesel's at. But your at-the-pump diesel is well over a dollar more than gas at this point, uh, most places across the nation. So increased demand and drop in production, diesel shortage may be next, as the largest diesel distribution hub in the U.S. is sitting on supplies at a 30-year low. A lot of this is tied to supply chain and Russia, especially with Russia, Russian oil uh, being under those embargoes and <clears throat> and whatnot. So uh, diesel has continued to hit record prices. National average is five fifty four per gallon, which is up twenty two cents from last week. So even the split is just unbelievable. Like usually, usually there's there's a difference. I mean, diesel can be cheaper than gas sometimes, but usually it doesn't get like over a buck more. Right. And for it to be, yeah, like you go look and you're like, oh man, I'm glad I'm not filling up with diesel in my gas truck. But then I think about it, yeah, all the farmers and how much diesel we got and. I'm sure a lot of guys got in their tanks there, but still, it's it was still a high price before. And when you go to refill your tanks, it's going to be high priced again. So I was trying to find a thought in here. They said what the normal like gap is because it's usually only like no more than like fifty cents or something difference between. Yeah, the two. what I read this is a tweet from a guy named Ed Crooks, and he said the great diesel shortage on display here in New York, and he's got a picture of like a mobile station. The difference between gasoline and diesel is typically fifty cents to a dollar per gallon. Here it's two dollars, and in New York right now it's four sixty a gallon for for regular and six sixty for diesel. So that's it. And that's cash. If you do credit, then it's <laughs> then it's ten more. cents You're more. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Which I thought I thought that was interesting because I know like Rosendale in Wisconsin has a couple gas stations where it gives you like a cash price, but normally it's just a price. Like they right. don't a lot of places don't advertise a cash versus credit price. But the way they talk about, you know, those ch- the charges going up with credit cards, that might be the wave of the future, too. You might see a cash versus credit price. Even the amount right now is that it's switched to prepay at the pumps. Right. Like, yep. Quick Trip did it, and they kind of said, like, oh, we'll see how it goes, and then we're maybe going to switch back. And I don't think they're switching They're not back. going back, no. I'll tell you what. My uh, food bill at Quick Trip has gone down tremendously by I, paying, paying I, before I go. Like, I don't stop for a soda every time anymore. No, I, I thought that, too. I even got some people I know that, like, they're like, I I won't stop at Quick Trip anymore because i got to pay at the pump. I have stopped and going. I, right. Like, a, like, I like just I've, wonder if Quick Trip has seen that or not. Because I would agree. If if I'm sitting there by the pump and i got to pay, I'm not going in to grab a loaf of bread and milk. I'm, you know, unless right. I need, know I need it. But, like. No, it's it's definitely a different. You the reason you paid inside because they wanted you to come in there, and I did have yeah. someone who I'm not going to name on the podcast, but to ask me how that works, like they they wanted a tutorial on how to pay at the pump. <laughs> they just never did. Did it? Well, yeah. Bill always prepays. Right, your brother and, is and one I've, of. A, yeah, he's I'm, not the one that asked for okay. the tutorial though. He knew how. 
I've never pre. I don't think I've ever prepaid because it's like, well, how much do you right? You got to guess. For? It's like, like, uh, I, like I don't want to do that. I used, like, pre- I used to prepay uh, like when I was a kid, and like I had to pay for my own gas. And my sure. parents would be like, "Here's twenty bucks for gas." Then I always would, so sure. I'd go over my twenty bucks. Right. I could see that. See, that was the challenge. Just like you'd watch the pump, and you'd sit there, and like you'd stop it from going, and then you just like click, click, click until well, you hit exact, or you'd be like one cent over. No, no, I missed it this time. When the when the price is lower too, it's way easier to hit that. Like oh yeah, F four or something. Now it's like well, that's you got to be like the sucky thing with our pickup trucks now is they still. This has been for a long time, but it hasn't mattered as much except for now when prices are high. The pumps cut off at a hundred bucks. Yeah, they don't anymore though. Yeah, they do. I well, just the other day. I don't know where I was, but it went to a hundred. Okay, so maybe so it's certain so gas stations. Certain ones must yeah. be changing it because I was at a quick trip and it it's quit weird. at a hundred. Yeah. Like and you you could tell because you know normally it just goes and it's like a sudden stop yeah and then you you're watching it and it goes all of a sudden it starts to slow, slow down, down a little bit you're like oh yep nope it's yeah the, the it's hun- gonna quit the hundred dollar limit is really inconvenient right now yeah I hit that in Illinois too when I was down uh, when I went to the National Motor Conference this year driving down I hit a spot and yeah same thing it was what I don't understand is truck stop if you're even. prepaying. Why? Why would there be a limit? You know, they already like, right. You're prepaying or you're paying at the pump. They already got your it's, money. It's not like you can drive off with the way more. So you don't steal gas. Well, but how would you? You already pay. I, I think it's yeah, more it's, like you can only take that much I, like, right, at a crack. Sure I mean, they, you could always restart the pump. And what, what I'm saying though is, you you can't steal because now it's all prepaid. So they should change all those pumps to just. Yeah, and steal's not the right word, but I think it's more like to create a shortage. Like uh, you can sure. only take a hundred bucks worth of gas. Yeah. At a at a yeah, time, yeah. Not that you couldn't, like I said, restart the Rest, pump, but yeah. that way when there's a run on gas. So do you re- do you restart the pump when that happens, or you just? It was pump? close enough. I just figured out. Yeah, like I'll I don't catch know up next that time. Would restart yeah. the, at that point, you just be like, yeah, you got enough of my money. Like I'm done. I I know the other day when I went to the cash register and I got I filled up with gas. I got two bottles of water and a bag of sunflower seeds. And I went to pay. It was like a hundred and thirty dollars, <laughs> and I was like. Oh. Oh, that's gross. It's not like I bought lunch for the whole company and pumped gas. Right. Like I just I, I wanted a bag of sunflower seeds and some water, and it was one hundred thirty dollars. And I was like, "This is terrible. I don't ever want to do this again." <laughs> and it's amazing how a little bit like gas prices seem high. Don't get me wrong, especially once it went over four bucks. Yeah, four like, is my number. Like that was the number of like, oh uh, yeah, okay, now it's high. Like when it was three eighty, whatever. Like that didn't seem like that big of a difference from. You know, a few I'm years with ago. you though. Like three fifty is probably my line. Like low threes. Like yeah, this is high, but it ain't like you get at four and it's like dang. Okay. Like four nineteen like, this morning. Like you're the... driving around like looking for something at three ninety nine instead of four ten. Like it doesn't right. matter. Like at yeah. that point, it matters. You know, out of the gallons, you're you're gonna save seventy cents, but it feels like way more. Right. Like just it's just that perception side of things. Yeah. But. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So today we talked ways to test to help manage your input costs. In our spotlight, we looked at how dairy monitoring systems have benefited the bottom line for dairy farms. Egg History Minute, we talked about the history of wheat in Wisconsin. Cool Beans was a former farmer and agronomist, won the national, or the, sorry, the World Food Prize, not national, the World Food Prize, in 2022. And our That's Corny was diesel prices hit record highs, and we may see a shortage in our future. So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.